that line in there, um, awakening Bodhi mind, we are one Bodhi mind. Can you hear me? Really stood out for me today because actually what I want to talk about tonight are how are our uniqueness actually. So awakening Bodhi mind, we are one Bodhi mind, but we are all so unique. And this uh, practice period that's coming to a close at the end of this week with our wonderful Shuso, Sengetsu Trisha McFarlane, who's done a fabulous job. Uh, coming to a close, it's called the, the practice period of great peace and awareness. Great peace. Great peace. Have any of you felt peace today? Raise your hand if so. Oh, thank you. (laughs) We're talking about great peace. So this reality that we're in that is sometimes really uh, not so comfortable is that we really are unique. We're really different. We're so unique. Nobody will see the world the way you do. Nobody can see what you see. Nobody can see it how you see it. It's your unique way of seeing. And it's precious because we need all these different ways of seeing. So yeah, awakening Bodhi mind, we are one Bodhi mind. That also is true. And that's an edge that we work with in our practice, but we are so unique. And this way or this view our way, your way, your special, precious way is something that in practice, you have to learn how to take care of. You have to take care of your special way. Nobody else can do it for you. Everybody can do, can take care of you, but there's something that only you can do. And you have to, have to, excuse me, you have the opportunity (laughs) to really appreciate that which is the main way of taking care of it. So there are ways to go astray in that um, because it's so precious and it's so unique, um, it's really, really great. So why don't you all see reality my way? That would be great. (laughs) Why don't I kind of convince you that this unique, beautiful way of seeing the world seeing reality at this moment is is the best you guys should come over to. And the ways you're seeing it are all wrong. <laughs> That's one of the things we like to do. And the other thing we like to do is, or we, we, we get in the habit of doing is, um, this is so unique what the way I see things. And I can tell that others aren't seeing it quite this way. They're not expressing it quite this way. So there's something wrong with me. And I'd better change. And I'd better mature. And I'd better take up Zen practice because that's really the right way to see things. So luckily you've taken up Zen practice (laughs) because what Zen practice is about is the uniqueness of our ways of seeing and how that's, that's the dynamo that we live in and, uh, and various practices too, but the practice of being able to be your uniqueness and to recognize the other uniqueness and uh, be a constantly changing dynamo of life 
allowing yourself to change, but not doing it because you think you would be a better person if you did. That's the dynamo of practice that we're in. There is actually a term in Zen for being able to live that way with your preciousness, everyone's preciousness, every precious moment, and be steady in that. And that's called, it's got a funny name, Iron Person. So that's an iron person who can live like that. So it's one of the kind of esoteric terms for uh, somebody who's matured in practice and is so flexible there and so creative. That's an iron person. Isn't that nice? So Tricia and I have talked about, um, have talked about talking about the Vimalakirti Sutra during this session, because that at the heart of it, that's what that's about. It's about somebody who confronts all the confronts, meets all these bodhisattvas and tests them in that territory of their uniqueness and their point of view and their strength. You know, so these are great bodhisattvas who show up in the Vimalakirti Sutra. Um, actually, they hide out. They try not to show up because they're afraid of Vimalakirti, but it's because of this. It's because they need to there's this this ironness is that is that is ironness a word thank you <laughs> <laughs> the quality of iron um, is very difficult to assess very difficult to live with obviously so in the sutra there's a lot of uh, talking around it so I'm, I'll read a couple of stories because that's what we get to do in Dharma talks is tell stories. But Vimalakirti is a famous, very famous um, layman in, in our school. So uh, we talked about him a little bit recently, but um, he is, who's staying in, in the Vimalakirti room, which is the room back over there? Okay. Did you know that that's a big painting of Vimalakirti? Mm -hmm. Well, it said so right on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when Andy Ferguson was visiting, we were in that wonderful shop that sold Chinese things before they retired. And there was a stack of, of um, scrolls like that. And it was just a scroll lying there. And he looked at it and said, oh, Vimalakirti, so, in Chinese. So. <laughs> so we bought it immediately and framed it because Vimalakirti is so famous and the sutra is so important in our school. So it's the story of a layman, because in our school, one of the fixed ideas that we have broken away from, and, and of course, all of Buddhism has, but the fixed idea back in the day was that um, maybe only certain people could wake up, realize their true personhood, and maybe only certain conditions could they wake up, only if they renounced certain things and went to certain places and got rid of certain qualities in themselves, only then would people wake up. So Zen is you don't get rid of qualities in yourself. You don't have to go somewhere else. You just have to be here. So the Vimalakirti Sutra is very old. It's about 2,000 years old, but it's one that makes that proclamation. And so Vimalakirti was a famous layman and in that scroll in there, you'll see he has on a white hat, I think, 
is it a white hat he's wearing? Great white hat. And he's above Shakyamuni Buddha. So there's a whole um, wonderful crowd of beings. There are goddesses and um, ruffians and sages and Vimala Kirti and, and, and Buddha. And a few other, Buddha has blue hair in that drawing and a bunch of other people around Vimala Kirti, the famous layman. And the sutra is, um, I get to talk about the first three chapters. <laughs> the first chapter is, all Buddhas are great. It goes on and on about that. The second chapter, that's funny, that's a joke. <laughs> really, the first chapter is wonderful, but you read it and you just hear the praises. Because praising others, which we call Buddhas, but you could call it Royce, you could call it Rachel, you could call it Danielle, you could call it Tim, you could call it Maite, Brandon, Tricia, Gail. I could keep going. This is praising Buddhas. To praise is, is the most wholesome thing you can do for your personal growth. To really, your own precious point of view allows you, your appreciation. Can you hear me, Kogan? He can hear me. Can everyone else hear okay? Mm -hmm. Just for some reason, it's not. The microphone doesn't seem to be working. They're not, they're I can just talk loudly. There's nobody back oh, there. Oh, it doesn't matter in terms of the recording. No, it okay. doesn't. No. Sorry, then. Excuse me. Oh, no. That's fine. Thank you for your point of view. <laughs> <laughs> your, your unique and extremely caring point of view. Thank you. So where was I? Praise. Thank you. Praise. So from when you see how beautiful your own point of view, your own uniqueness is, all of the karmic conditions that have infused your life, things that you've experienced that will never be experienced again on this planet, things that you've seen that will never be seen again on this planet, occasions that you've experienced and, and done, it's very moving. And only you have done that combination of events. And only you have been changed by those. Isn't that amazing? This is very precious. To be in that place, I was thinking about our good friend, Yazan Dave Johnson, because he was one who, uh, like Vimala Kirti, was able to occupy that place. Dave was Dave. <laughs> At first, that was really hard to take. <laughs> because he argued for the right to be Dave. And then he got softer because he realized we wanted him to be Dave and that Reb wanted him to be Dave. And everybody was going to allow him to be Dave. And he was just a sweetie pie. And that's what happens when people allow us to be ourselves. Not necessarily. You might become more um, of a brat, <laughs> which might be what is needed. But Vimalakirti, um, in the second chapter of this sutra, it's a small sutra, but it's absolutely packed with wonderful stuff. In the second chapter, um, there's a discussion of many of the um, beings who've come to see him and praise at how skillful he is. So this is another quality of ours that's very important to develop and really appreciated in, in Zen and in Mahayana which is skillful means because the skill of 
really meeting people where they are comes from really accepting that they're also unique. So if there's a shred of a preference that people be more predictable or they be more like this, your skill is compromised. You can't be as skillful because you're kind of secretly hoping that they will get more this way or they will sort of stop doing that. Um, all of us have a little of that. I have a little of that. What's my latest thing? <laughs> oh, I no, never mind. <laughs> we all have a little because it's for your own good if you know how to do it that way, right? That's the, that's my sin. I'm revealing my like, yeah. What is skillful and what is bossing people around is a working area for many of us. Everybody who's been a parent, isn't that true? What everyone who's been a teacher. Everyone who's been a, a Zen practitioner who has to give people instructions, what is skill and what is being bossy? It's a group decision. So, but Vimalakirti in the second chapter, there are many descriptions of how skillful he was because he was able to meet everybody where they were and to um, dance with them in their understanding. And then, uh, because he's so good at that skillful dance, a um, little like Dave, um, people stopped wanting to visit him. <laughs> and so he decided to uh, manifest sickness and lay down in his sickbed because he knew that the Buddha would be obliged to send people to visit him. That's a Buddhist principle that you visit the sick. So he knew that the Buddha would tell his major disciples to go visit him. So he was lying down there sick, and the Buddha, this is one of our trans-historical sutras, has lots of magical elements, but um, the Buddha told his disciples to go and visit the layman, Vimalakirti, he is ill, he is sick, he needs comfort, he needs to hear the Dharma. And one after one, they said, no, Buddha, and they report the story of what their last conversation was like and why they can't go visit him now. So I will tell you two stories from these conversations because both of them are demonstrations of uh, excuse me, uh, Vimalakirti trying to um, help people get back into their center. You're leaning a little too far this way, he says, get back into the center. Your preference is too strong for this. Don't you see that there, you need this balance? But he doesn't say it so kindly. So his way is much more the combative way of, of uh, I was going to say early Buddhism, but it's just, just the human way. Well, first I wanted to say something about how skillful he was and how he was seen as a super skillful person. But perhaps I will do that another day. So, Buddha asked several people to go visit 
um, Dimalakirti, and they wouldn't. And he got to Mahakashapa, who's one of the foremost disciples. When you see paintings of Shakyamuni, and there are two, in fact, in the Vimalakirti room, one of the disciples on the side of Buddha is Mahakashapa, foremost in learning, incredible bodhisattva. So the Buddhist, then the Buddha said to the venerable Mahakashapa, Mahakashapa, you go to the Lichavi, that's the town where he lived, Vimalakirti, to inquire about his illness. Lord, I am indeed reluctant to go to the Lachavi Vimalakirti to inquire about his illness. Why? I remember one day when I was in the street of the poor, when I was in the street of the poor begging for my food, the Lachavi Vimalakirti came along and said to me, Reverend Mahakashapa, to avoid the houses of the wealthy and to favor the houses of the poor, this is partiality and benevolence. Reverend Mahakashapa, you should dwell on the fact of the equality of things, and you should seek alms with consideration for all living beings at all times, because to give alms, you get a lot of merit. So he was favoring poor houses because they would get more merit if they gave to him. So Vimalakirti was telling him he shouldn't avoid the houses of the wealthy and let them have merit. So you should beg your food in awareness of the ultimate non-existence of food. You should seek alms for the sake of eliminating the materialism of others. When you enter a town, you should keep in mind its actual voidness, emptiness of all qualities. Yet you should proceed through it in order to develop men and women. You should enter homes as if entering the family of the Buddha. You should accept alms by not taking anything. So this Mahakashapa explains why he doesn't want to go back and visit Vimalakirti after this. He goes on somewhat. And then Vimalakirti gives him a lecture on how to actually see reality and to be released. Then, our next bodhisattva, then the Buddha, he accepted Mahakshapa's reluctance. He turned to Subhuti, also a great, great bodhisattva. Um, Subhuti, go to the Lichavi Vimalakirti to inquire about his illness. Subhuti is named after his mother, by the way. He's named as, uh, his name is son of the wise woman. Uh, Go to the Lachavi Vimalakirti to inquire about his illness. Subhuti replied, Lord, I am indeed reluctant to go to this good man to inquire about his illness. Why? My Lord, I remember one day when I went to beg my food at the house of the Lachavi Vimalakirti, and when I went to his house in the great city of Vaisali, he took my bowl and filled it with some excellent food and said to me, Reverend Subhuti, take this food if you understand the equality of things by means of the equality of material objects. And if you understand the equality of all the attributes of the Buddha by means of the equality of all things, take this food if, without abandoning desire, hatred, and folly, you can avoid association with them. If you can follow the path of the single way without ever disturbing the egoistic views, meaning don't throw away your egoistic views. If you can produce the knowledges and liberations without conquering, without conquering ignorance and the craving for existence, if by the equality of the five deadly sins, you reach the equality of liberation, 
if you are neither liberated nor bound, you can have this food. <laughs> so embedded in these are just messages that uh, there's the venerable Subhuti who's being told, even you can't abandon the passions, even you can't abandon ignorance. This is the, the ocean we swim in. One more part of this. This is still Subhuti. Lord, when I heard these words of the Lachavi Vimalakirti, I wondered what I should say and what I should do, but I was totally in the dark. Leaving the bowl, I was about to leave the house when the Lichavi Vimalakirti said to me, Reverend Subhuti, do not fear these words and pick up your bowl. What do you think, Reverend Subhuti? If it were an incarnation created by the Tathagata, the Buddha who spoke thus to you, would you be afraid? I answered, no, indeed, noble sir. Vimalakirti then said, Reverend Subhuti, the nature of all things is like illusion, like a magical incarnation. So you should not fear them. Why? All words also have that nature. And thus the wise are not attached to words, nor do they fear them. Why? All language does not ultimately exist except as liberation. The nature of all things is liberation. Do not fear words. So, Vimalakirti finds the most subtle ways to help us just settle down and being ourselves, identifies all the ways. How many of us are afraid of words? We are afraid when words appear. We are afraid. They're some of the most powerful um, weapons that keep us off center when the words start coming around. For most of us, they're more powerful than physical actions against us. People fling words at us and we can lose our, our groundedness, our place, our willingness to be the unique people that we are. These words are so powerful. And Vimalakirti is saying, don't fear words. Another iron person I want to talk about um, is there aren't very many people in in uh, the Buddhist scriptures uh, who are called iron because it's a really it's really high praise. But one of the people who's um, named after iron is called Iron Grindstone. Iron Grindstone Liu L I U. And she practiced in China at 9th century, 10th century, uh, very famous, very famous practitioner. And in one story, she had, she had achieved liberation. She was definitely an iron person, and she was living miles away from the monastery where her teacher lived, Guishan. And so in this story, she goes to call on him. She hasn't seen her teacher in a while. So she walks the miles and miles. And all these stories of people, uh, especially women people, walking miles and miles uh, in China, just they seem so fearless to me. Of course, anybody walking miles and miles seems fearless to me. But I, I praise, I praise Iron Grindstone Lou. So she walked for miles and miles. 
to call on her teacher, Guishan, a great, great teacher. And she walked into his room and he looked at her and said, old cow, so you've come. He called himself a water buffalo. So wasn't it that she was not afraid of that word, old cow. (laughs) (laughs) Old cow, so you've come. And she said, she sat down in his little room and said, there's a feast tomorrow on Taishan. And the feast, it doesn't say in the story, but uh, you know by the timing that the feast is for his teacher. So there's a feast tomorrow on uh, Mount Taishan. Are you going? So it's a big feast for his departed teacher, and it's hundreds of miles away. There's a feast tomorrow. Are you going? So he uh, lay down and sprawled out. She immediately got up and left. So there's no plan in what they did. It's just what happened in the room. And people wrote it down and we're still studying it, you know, 1,500 years later. And uh, the people who collected those stories, Tantong, Rujing, and everybody praise her mightily all the time for that that dialogue and for getting up and leaving. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) So the, the steadiness and the peacefulness underneath there is um, uh, something we all have. We all have the steadiness. We all have this great peace. And it doesn't have, it's not attached to qualities. So that thing, the iron person thing that we all have, isn't something we accumulate with other qualities. It's there, independent of all these qualities. So it's not about being comfortable or having a feeling of peacefulness. It's about... um, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's being comfortable with not having a feeling of peacefulness. It's being really comfortable with your incredibly unique point of view, being willing to take care of it and study it. Um, I was going to say, and not be attached to it. But for today, we can be attached to it. The uniqueness of our point of view is something that can get uh, really, our our feelings about our point of view can get sticky. We feel the stickiness of our point of view, partly because it's so precious and um, partly because uh, we don't realize how strong it is. So if we think that our, our way is vulnerable to outside influences, it's open to outside influences, but it is, it's sustained and strengthened by outside influences. All the influences that we've ever been in and all the influences to come, they're going to strengthen our, our unique way. And along the way, we study and we expose ourselves to all sorts of um, um, influences, but uh, that's where the growth is to continue. We don't know what's going to happen for the rest of this session. 
when I when we do sashin, I really like to tell people who've never done it before. Have any of you never done sashin before? You're all worthy. Amalia, you have. Okay, you've never done thank you. <laughs> never done it before. Good to just do it one day at a time. Just today. Or even just this period. This is it. When the uh when the last period of Zazen ends tonight, it's done. Then we go to sleep. And when the Shuso rings the wake-up bill real, really loudly tomorrow, bong, bong, bong. <laughs> she's going to open your door and really wang that bell. Down. <laughs> then you get up and you see, is today another day of Sashin for me? We'll see. Thank you all very much. Oh, wait, I wanted to read a poem. Sorry, there was one other poem I wanted to read. Another proof of your uniqueness. It's Wang Wei. I almost have it memorized, but just to be on the safe side. Wang Wei is a, another wonderful Chinese poet. In my middle years, I have grown rather fond of the way. Does anybody know the second line? <laughs> oh, here it is. In my middle years, I have grown rather fond of the way and made my home in the foothill, foothills of South Mountain. When the spirit moves me, I go off by myself to see the things that only I can see. To follow the stream to the source, I follow the stream to the source and sitting there, Watch for the moment when clouds rise up. Or I may meet a woodsman. We talk and laugh and forget about going home. There are things that only you can see. And this is what keeps our world alive. 